Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. I'm the Compliance Evangelist, and I'd like to welcome you to this special five-part podcast series sponsored by Affiliated Monitors, which celebrates Affiliated Monitors' 15 years in business as the first entity specializing in independent integrity monitoring. Founded in 2004, Affiliated Monitors provides independent integrity monitoring and ethics and compliance assessments nationally and internationally and across almost all industries. With its knowledge of effective ethics and compliance programs and cultures, Affiliated Monitors is respected for its work as the corporate monitor on matters ranging from multinational corporations to small and mid-sized companies and even individuals. Having served in nearly 750 monitorships, no one has more experience as an independent monitor than the team at Affiliated Monitors. For more information on how an independent monitor can help improve your company's ethics and compliance programs, visit this podcast series sponsor, Affiliated Monitors, at www.affiliatedmonitors.com. Over this five-part podcast series, I visit with Vin DeCiani, the president, founder, and CEO of Affiliated Monitors, and we talk about and celebrate the history of Affiliated Monitors. In our first podcast, we look at the idea which DeCiani formed, which led to the founding of Affiliated Monitors. In episode two, we discuss the early days of Affiliated Monitors. In episode three, we talk about the expanded use of independent monitoring. In episode four, we consider the marriage of independent monitoring and ethics and compliance programs. And we wrap up with episode five about Affiliated Monitors growth. It's a fascinating exploration that I know you will enjoy if you want to learn about the history of not simply monitoring, but the way regulators think about the ethics and compliance programs that we all work on. This is Tom Fox. This special five-part podcast series on the history of affiliated monitors is a special presentation of the Compliance Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again, back for another episode in our five-part exploration of the history of Affiliated Monitors with founder and CEO of Affiliated Monitors, Vin DeCiani. Vin, uh, first of all, welcome, and thank you for taking the time to visit with me today. Tom, thank you very much. Vin, we've been able to uh, explore uh, the idea which led to the formation of Affiliated Monitors and um, a little bit about the early days, but I wanted to uh, today ask you a little bit about the expanded use of the independent Independent monitors, and why does the government see an independent monitor come in on a variety of assignments outside the traditional post-resolution monitor? The use of monitoring, um, from what you know, over the past 15 years, has expanded greatly. Um, and and when I say that, I'm talking about you know, sort of the federal use of monitors, the state use of monitors, municipalities, county governments using monitors. Uh, internationally, they're starting to be used in some different settings. And um, as we have talked about before, we're even doing private monitoring, right? So all of those um, different avenues um, have, uh, you know, sort of their start when affiliated started. I mean, I think DOJ had started to use monitors um, in the in the late, in, I'm sorry, in the early 2000s. Um, we were involved in a money laundering uh, monitorship uh, involving a foreign uh, company uh, that was one of the first monitorships, and it was under a plea agreement. Um, and you know, from there, 
Um, the DOJ use of monitors expanded, as we know, into some other areas, which led into the Morford memo uh, in 2008, which sort of put some parameters around the selection of monitors and the uh, what monitors are supposed to do. You know, that came about, the Morford memo came about because of, you know, monitoring, especially in the DOJ area, was more like the Wild West. There were no real controls. So the Morford memo was something that it really did look at corporate monitorships, um, but it, it, it was very focused on, you know, the selection of monitors. Other agencies, though, were using monitors. Um, and, um, you know, we worked with other federal agencies. Um, we worked with the Department of Probation. We worked with the Department of Transportation. Uh, we worked with ICE in that uh, in the AML monitoring that we did, and and so over time the federal uh, the sort of monitoring expanded significantly, and it was no longer just a DOJ criminal uh, type of um, uh, settlement, but now it was starting to be used by other government agencies. Um, and so we, affiliated was right there at the beginning. So we did a, mo a money laundering thing. We also monitored um, uh, some of the what I'll call the big dig contractors up in Massachusetts, um, uh, where there were criminal pleas in one instance. But Federal Highway, Federal Transportation, Mass Transportation said, we really need this contractor. Um, and so they did not want to debar them from continuing to do work, but they allowed them to be monitored for a period of time and get back in the good graces of the government. And it's a very good company. Um, even today, they're still at it. So we monitored them. So, so federal agencies started to use it. We did one with the Federal Railroad Administration. We know the OIG for HHS uses what monitors under the guise of a term they call an independent review organization. So we were seeing a great expansion on the federal side not just within DOJ, which expanded it as well, but we saw it with other agencies. On the state side, we saw it, as I told you, with regulatory boards, you know, and as I said, you know, to, when you go to one board, it doesn't necessarily, you know, just accept what another state's boards are doing. So you have, we had to go state by state, right, to introduce ourselves to the regulatory agencies in those states. And that has expanded. So, you know, over the course of the 15 years, we're now working in 42 states providing, you know, monitoring services. That was an expansion. That is even continuing as within states, there are various agencies at the state level that are starting to use monitors. Municipally, municipalities started to use monitors. Um, some of the stuff we did early on was alcohol beverage monitoring. Um, but municipalities are using monitors in a similar fashion now um, for some of their agencies, public schools, um, one in particular uh, is that we're working with. Um, county governments we've seen um, in the prison settings. Um, we've seen them in pension settings. Um, internationally, we know that, um, you know, the, the, the UK has just started to use monitors um, under um, a few deferred prosecution agreements. We're starting to see monitors um, in other, you know, uh, uh, parts of the world as well. So, Tom, it's just been an expansion. That's the best way I can tell you. As more agencies get to know about monitoring and they hear the benefits, they're starting to use it. Vin, I'm extraordinarily um, interested because uh, you detailed 
really the different focuses of different levels of government. So, for instance, in the federal focus, you talked about ethics and compliance and specific subject matter expertise. In a state focus, you talked about businesses meeting their legal obligations, uh, municipalities, uh, contract issues, particularly around procurement and execution. And then even internationally, corruption is a key. How is an independent monitor um, the structure of that format broad enough to cover all of these different focuses or foci, if I can use that legal word? <laughs> yeah, that's a great question. Um, so uh, we, as we've talked about, so monitors come in all shapes and sizes. So you could work on a, you know, a gigantic international or multinational company, or we monitor mid-size, small size, down to individuals, right? So each case is very different. And so each case um, when you look at it, um, is, uh, you know, has a certain set of conditions or criteria for the monitor. So a well-crafted settlement agreement, for example, will detail these are the 12 things that the monitor has to do. And here's the reporting schedule. And here's the, you know, how you, um, the things that you need to consider. So what we have learned over the years because we've done so many, we've done right now, we're getting close to 750 monitorships, right? And so with that, um, we have learned, and it's, I think it's one of the things that we've done best, is we've learned how to monitor. So we can take almost any setting and build our monitorship around that. Sometimes we need to bring on subject matter experts, and we're very happy to do so because we are not experts at everything. Um, and so you craft a monitorship based upon um, you know, what the agency is looking for, number one. Number two, and it's something that I think brings value to both sides, is the first question we always ask is, you know, what does success of this monitorship look like for you, the agency, or you, the business, right? Um, and so when you get that understanding, you sort of develop, you know, sort of the approach of, well, everybody wants this to succeed, which is a good thing. How do we get there? How do we take you know, these very detailed conditions, and they can be, again, they can vary greatly, um, and, 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 and figure out how to monitor those conditions in a way that is valid, in a way that gives the agency sort of the insight and input it needs to make sure that the company is fulfilling the terms of the, you know, the agreement. And at the same time, we can, you know, you can sort of figure out what the problems that the company had and how do you fix that, right? So there's lots of considerations that go into this um, this independent monitoring model. So I wanted to ask about a couple of uh, specific different areas, and they're really about as different as I can imagine. One is state attorneys, uh, attorney general offices in civil rights contrasted with uh, federal railroad, um, both the railroad companies and the railroad employees. How would you think through the differences in those two very different types of uh, regulators? So, um, as I indicated, you do need to understand the uh, the elements of the settlement agreement, right? So, we did a civil rights case out of New York City a number of years ago, and um, I can remember getting a call from the AG's office. They had this very small... Um, manufacturing company out on Long Island. And they um, uh, hired and employed and all of these sort of functionally disabled people. 
and they got in trouble for EEO violations, equal employment uh, uh, violations. Um, and so the AG's office was in a quandary. You know, they didn't want to close down this one of the last manufacturing companies in the city, um, but they had to deal with these realistic problems that the company was having in dealing with their staff. Um, and so we came up with, you know, again, creative thinking. We came up with a model which um, had the company implement an, a, an ethics and compliance program for EEO um, and so that it understood um, what the problems were with the staff and how it could deal with it. We implemented a hotline. We did training for the staff and the, and the management team. Um, and then we monitored them for a period of time. But we had to understand what the problems were, right, to get to that solution. So that's one. You know, Federal uh, Railroad was a situation where a company, um, uh, a very good uh, construction company in Massachusetts had gotten in trouble for some uh, unauthorized activity under sort of billing. We had to understand, you know, what happened from the investigative standpoint, but sort of from the root cause standpoint. So once we understood, you know, sort of foundational information about what the problems were, we were then able to craft a monitorship um, based upon what the Federal um, Railroad was looking for that looked at, you know, some of the deficiencies in the company's controls, some of the things that got the company in trouble, and then we would create the monitorship around that. So it might include interviews, it might include audits, it might include document reviews, but all crafted around what we were seeing, right, um, and what we understood to be the requirements of a monitorship. That effort, that sort of that level of effort in, in understanding of the, you know, what the monitor has to do is something that we're very good at. And it's taken years to develop that that. Um, uh, ability, but it, it, now that we're very comfortable almost monitoring in any situation because of our years of experience doing it. Well, Vin, unfortunately, we're near the end of our time, but I've been visiting today in this episode with Vin DeCiani, founder and president of Affiliated Monitors, and we've been looking at the expanded use of independent monitoring. I hope you'll join us tomorrow for our next episode where we look at the marriage of independent monitoring and ethics and compliance programs. Vin, as always, uh, thank you, and I look forward to continuing the conversation. Much appreciated, Tom. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. If you'd like more information on Affiliated Monitors, check out their website, www.affiliatedmonitors.com. I hope you will join me again tomorrow for our next episode in this fascinating and celebratory five-part podcast series on the 15 years of Affiliated Monitors, which details the history of not only independent monitoring, but ethics and compliance programs. This is Tom Fox. I'm the Compliance Evangelist. This podcast series is a special presentation of the Compliance Podcast Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.